0: check it out right now at gitlatka.com. SourcePoint launched in 2015 after a $400 million exit. That was mail to Google. Uh, now working on a sort of a three-tiered pricing plan. What folks can pay him on a, on a volume of API call, a plan, a pure SaaS plan, which is traditional C and unlocking features. And then lastly, what percent of spend is SourcePoint helping you protect? They take under 1% call it take rate on that. They're growing nicely. They raised uh, recently a series C in 2020 for 17 million bucks. They've got a team of 60, evenly distributed call it, and uh nice go-to-market plan leaning on a lot of his ex-teammates from AdMount. As I look to scale to 50 million, this year will be a stretch goal, but definitely in 2024, serving 500 customers today. Hey, folks, my guest today is Ben Brokus. He's the co-founder and CEO uh, at SourcePoint, now leading the strategic direction. It's a data privacy company for digital marketing. He's got a proven track record of growing companies that transform the digital content industry, founding and leading the preeminent supply-side platform AdMeld to its acquisition by Google for a reported $400 million in 2011. He then served as general manager of global marketplace development team. Prior to that, he drove business and operations for Jump TV and AOL. Ben, you ready to take us to the top? Sure, let's do it, buddy. All right. Your bio said 400 million reported. That was in 2011. I mean, can you create clarity there? Was that is that confirmed? Is it close enough?
1: I mean, it's all about how do you do your fancy accounting. There's uh, there are bonuses on top of the cat price that was paid that were given to employees, and so it was significantly above that in terms of uh, price. But it's also you know what what gets recorded in the purchase price is the complexity of the, uh, of the exact price. But yeah, that was, uh, that was startup number three and we did, we did quite well. And I'm,
0: uh, You have co-founders you there report. or a founder?
1: No, co-founders, co-founder, uh, a different Brian. I have a co-founder currently named Brian Kane, who was also my chief operating officer at AdMeld, but I co-founded that business with a gentleman named Brian Adams, uh, also an incredible operator, engineer, and product person. Uh, Yeah, we founded that company in 2007, exited in 2011. This one, after three years at Google, founded in 2015, have been rocking and rolling almost eight years. Uh, And and it's been a great journey.
0: That's great. Now at Admel, were you guys pretty capital efficient or had you raised a bunch of money to grow that company?
1: We raised a bunch of money and we have had a history of working with the best and most incredible venture capitalists. How much had you raised
0: at Admel? 40. Okay, four, well, that's not terrible. So if he's 40 and you sell for four, I mean, you read companies all the time today that, you know, they raise 100 million, they sell for 100 million, no one makes any money. That
1: doesn't work out really well.
0: <laughs> it doesn't work out well. So when you say a bunch of money, just to be clear, uh, again, that's, I would call that pretty darn capital efficient. It was a good one for everybody.
1: Yeah, where I come from, $40 million is still a bunch of money. It's not 400 million, it's 1.8 billion, but 40 million in most people's minds is a bunch of money.
0: Yeah, well, it's all it's all relative is how we like to look at it it's here on the relative. show. Let's talk about source points. So was this a problem that you had at AdMelt? You said, I need to leave and actually just build this for everyone else? Or how did you identify this problem?
1: Oh, no, I, I mean, I think data privacy is one of those things that has been building for the past three, four, five decades. I mean, data is the lifeblood and is the oil of what runs the digital enterprise today. Uh, and and the understanding that from a user perspective, uh, most users don't um, understand what the value exchange by giving their data away, uh, and more and more that data can be stolen or utilized in ways that um, that the individual user doesn't want. Digital advertising, digital marketing made a lot of this data available, and there are a number of brokers uh, that don't act responsibly responsibly, like good digital citizens, don't act ethically, uh, and don't keep that data secure. And so while I was at Google, after we almost created the problem, while there, we developed a protocol called real-time bidding. And the RTB protocol enables marketers to bid on individual users based on their data profile. Mm. And that made... Data available on just about everyone. Uh, understanding that you're in thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of data graphs around the world uh, might make you feel uncomfortable. At any mm-hmm. rate, we knew that the, that the digital media ecosystem needed to clean up its act, and we wanted to provide a solution. And that's what we did. And we created the best solution in the world for large scale digital, digital enterprises to evaluate what their data privacy risk is and provide a series of tools in order to mitigate that risk and act in an ethical and good citizenship. So Ben,
0: we'll go back and get the backstory here on the first customer, second customer, etc. But help us understand today as the company stands, if you know, you just described the product, well, for a customer that wants to pay for and use the product today, what sort of market are you serving? What's the average ACB, would you say a 100 bucks, a million bucks, something in between?
1: Yep, something between call it hundred thousand dollars a year in annual contract value,
0: Um, and and our clients are the biggest media companies in the world. What do you price against in terms of your utility based pricing? Is a number of seats, number of data, you know, number profiles protected? What do you price against?
1: It's more about implementation and volume. So we serve the digital enterprise, and so in terms of how we integrate, it's on every website call every initiation of an app with an sdk and so however many times you're pinging us to launch our platform is how you pay for one of our products i think another product is a pure sas play and a third is about how much of the spends that we are helping you uh protect if that makes sense so um Product one and two of three are very SaaS based models, based on volume and evaluated data, and one is really on the percentage of uh, overlap that we protect.
0: And and that third one that you're talking about, percent of spend that you're protecting, are you taking like I said, it's traditional take rate model there, percent of spend or no?
1: Yeah, um, but it's basis points, so with companies that spend you know hundreds of millions of dollars of marketing in buying advertising or buying data to inform addressability, we we, depending on how much your spend is, we take basis points in order to protect that spend and make sure that you mitigate risk as it relates to placing messages on places that it shouldn't or uh purchasing data that hasn't been evaluated in the appropriate So ben, when way you say basis points though
0: you're talking like under one percent right that's
1: exactly right
0: okay got it okay that's super helpful then again the first one is pricing on volume of api calls. it sounds like and then another the second product is based on like a pure sas fee unlock xyz features and this many seats sort of deal that's exactly it very cool okay now that we have that part of the story take us back to the early days what year did you write the first line of code for the platform
1: um, yeah, it was the end of 2015. Uh, we wrote the first code. I think it got us uh, till beginning of 17, where we had our first clients uh, and then scaled up. I think we've, we've averaged about 40% growth year over year. Some years were better. Some years were less good. But that's kind of how we've averaged out. Uh, we've been certainly incredibly successful among uh, the digital marketing ecosystem We are now expanding beyond that to a more generalized uh, enterprise solution. We realize that being the best at what we do has translated very well to other verticals. And so we're spending a lot of time making sure that we're the easy button for data privacy programs. And for those teams, you know, everyone within the Fortune 1000 uh, needs to have a series of tools and a platform by which to execute their privacy program. And um, we've, we've, we've penetrated very deep into the media and marketing space. And now we're, we're really expanding to uh, the rest of the ecosystem.
0: Can you put all that in a bundle for me? So across all those markets you just described, how many customers are you serving today?
1: We're solving uh, problems for about five hundred customers today, Uh, and and you know we're hoping to again grow by forty to fifty percent this year.
0: That's great. Now, talk me the original funding here. I think you did a series, a ten million Series A back in twenty fifteen, and then a sixteen million Series B in twenty seventeen. Were both those rounds totally pre revenue, or was a Series B raised after your first customer came in?
1: I think our Series B was after our first customer came in. We had limited customers then but um but those customers were very very large enterprise customers and so there was a proof point there
0: I see. I guess the, the, the question I have is: a lot of second-time, third-time founders will listen to this show, and I always wonder—you know—someone that has a four hundred million-dollar exit. If you, you know, if you want to, you know, swing for the fences, go build a massive company. You want to try and own as much as you can. Well, you know, why use ten million dollars of other people's money there for your Series A in twenty fifteen instead of just, you know, saying, you know, what I want to own one hundred percent, keep as much as I possibly can, and then scale this thing.
1: Oh, because it just makes every difference to have smart partners on the VC side of the equation. I think it's a great accelerator uh, for for anything that you want to do. If you want to change the world, then your best bet at changing the world is doing so in conjunction with people who have seen and have invested in changing the world. And you know, I've had the incredible luck of working with some of the most, Accomplished VCs in the industry. You can see, you know, on our cap table, North Zone, Spark, Graycroft, Excel, Foundry. Uh, these are all uh, incredible companies with incredible partners that have been uh, very, very helpful along my entrepreneurial path. And so, you know, again, I wouldn't raise venture if you're just starting a lifestyle business or you're starting something that has been done before. But in all of the cases where I've founded companies, we were doing something that has never been done before. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we set out to, like you said, swing for the fences and do that with partners. I think no man is an island uh, and you want to increase your success rate by working closely with partners.
0: I mean, Ben, one of the things, though, obviously, about raising capital is using your island now, the waves are crashing harder, right? Whether it's Greycoft and Spark coming in your Series A or North Zone in your Series B, they have a growth expectation, which can limit your optionality into the future. Uh, You've got to accelerate speed. These guys are expecting 100%, especially in the early days, maybe 200 300% year-over-year growth. You manage an average of 40% year-over-year growth. The expectations there are not aligned. How do you create alignment?
1: You know, again, by having a long-term view and having an understanding of our particular investors for particular stages, of, uh, and they will help you when they can help you. And when they can't, they will say that they can't. And so you find other investors uh, that are are more aligned with the particular stage of a company uh, that you have. And there are times by which the market doesn't move as fast as you would like it to move. And in, in our case, data privacy legislation in the United States Move much more slowly than we thought that it would. Uh, And still to this day, we don't have national data privacy legislation that has been passed, and we're probably a couple years away uh, that would account for 60 to 70% of our revenue coming from Europe. We do see that. That's today, 60
0: to 70%, 60% today comes from Europe because of the laws over there? Correct. Yeah. Correct.
1: Uh, And now, where we've had already four. Uh, states passed comprehensive data privacy legislation, now a fifth. The tailwinds are starting to blow very, very hard, and uh, we're seeing an exciting opportunity to um, to grow much more quickly in the North American market.
0: Mm-hmm. And then I guess, Ben, take me back that Series A, most folks now I'll look at 2015, it was when we were just launching the show. So I don't have a ton of data points from back then, but most folks Series A the past couple of years, you know, you're selling, you know, 10 to 15% of the company. Did you do, sort of do something standard? You were sort of in that same range?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay.
0: And same with, you know, Series B, you know, you're selling 5 to 10% sort of in that same range. Same thing. Okay. How do you think about Arrowroot coming in with $17 million in 2020? It's not labeled any of that as any kind of round and crunch base. So how do you think about them? Is that a Series C?
1: Sure. I mean, again, you can label them however you want. They were the right capital for the right time.
0: Well, was it the same paper the Series B set on or do they repaper the deal at a higher valuation?
1: Oh, certainly they repapered it. There, there are a number of different negotiations and buttons and levers that you do with different
0: funders at different times. Mm-hmm. Did, was a part of that Arrowroot deal secondary? Was it all for operating capital?
1: All for operating character. As you said, like, you know, both my co founder and I have been lucky enough to have significant exits in the past. And so, uh, while, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't turn it down if it was at the right terms, it wasn't something that we were interested in at that time.
0: Sorry, just to be clear, if you if you incentivized your early employees in 2015 with option grants, they've been waiting now for five years. It might be nice to create secondary for some of them. So necessarily it wasn't for you, but do have you created a liquidity opportunity for any of your early, early employees who are incentivized with option grants? Certainly not. Interesting. How did you how do you think about that moving forward? If you want to buy yourself more time, but folks are getting anxious having, you know, these options for five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years, do you try and alleviate that that pressure at all?
1: I don't. I mean, I'm not hiring people with the incentive of being able to cash out their options. If the company does well, and if a strategic comes along and purchases the firm for a very high price, then fantastic. And then we'll all share in those spoils. But if not, I don't see funding for secondary um, for employees to be something that's going to be the primary driver of a funding event.
0: Tell me more about the team today. How many folks are full-time and how do you think about your engineering, your product, your sales teams?
1: Um, We're about 60 people uh, worldwide. Uh, We also have some contractors around the world. We're pretty evenly distributed across uh, engineering, product, sales, and marketing. Um, We have offices in New York, in London, and in Berlin. Um, And yeah, I mean... It Tell us about a, your first
0: sales hire. A lot the, of folks, its so our number one question we get is Nathan, I'm at 10 million in ARR. We want to make our first like enterprise sales rep. What should quota be? What should OTE be? How'd you put that together for you and your, your ACV?
1: Oh, it was just spectacular to be able to work with people that had worked for me in the past. Uh, my VP of sales became my CRO for this company. We had, a, again, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, way to found and start a company to be able to bring someone on early that you trust that will help you get to that ten million dollar ARR.
0: Well, Ben, teach uh, my so, crew though. Are you talking yeah, like I mean, is it a, a million dollar quota and a two hundred fifty k OTE or sort of what what ratio did you start with?
1: Well, we we're doing enterprise. We we're doing enterprise deals. Yeah, I think it was it was more like a, a million dollars a quarter um, for for him and the two sales reps that he hired right away together uh, and we were able to scale pretty c- correct we yeah. were able to scale pretty quickly in those uh, initial quarters uh, and then you know there were there were some bumps in the road and we had to reevaluate the technology that we we're building and the different use cases we did exactly that um, and course corrected and evolved and then uh, got back to growth so again none of these none of these uh, opportunities are all kind of straight line. They, everyone takes their own zigging and zagging in order to find the right level of product market fit, as well as the appropriate tools internally to utilize in order to drive the appropriate
0: go-to-market strategy. And Ben, before we wrap up, you mentioned earlier, you know, ACV, 100,000 bucks and customer count about 500. Can we multiply those to get a revenue range? You can do whatever you'd like. Well, I, I don't want to say anything misrepresented. You said earlier 500 customers and you said ACV 100 Oh, we don't,
1: we don't disclose. Yeah, we're not disclosing the details, but you certainly can do the math.
0: Well, you disclosed 500 customers and you disclosed 100,000 bucks ACV. If I multiply those, it puts you at 50 million in ARR. Is that accurate?
1: That's not accurate.
0: Okay. So is it but because we, you've we moved, do you different moved the enterprise?
1: No, we have, we have a number of different products. And so while that may be the ACB for um, our standalone products, all of our customers are not on all of our products.
0: I see. I see. So you're working on getting as many of the 500 at that 100,000, expand them net dollar retention to the $100,000 per year level with your three different pricing plans. Exactly. Can you break 50 million this year, you think, or is that going to be a 2024 goal?
1: If everything goes to plan, certainly, but it, it certainly, it will happen in 2024. Whether it'll happen in 2023, it's a bit of a stretch.
0: All right. Fair enough, Ben. That's helpful. Thanks. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, your favorite book.
1: My favorite book, uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things.
0: Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying?
1: Many. I mean, today I was, uh, yeah, there's an interesting thing that's going on in the finance sector. And I think we all need to be aware of what folks like Jamie Diamond are doing and uh, how they navigate the current pressure on the finance sector.
0: Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building SourcePoint?
1: Ooh, my favorite online tool. I would say that what's used most today is the Google suite of work
0: products. How about that? That's a good one. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night?
1: At least six and a half.
0: Okay, that's good. And situation, married, single kids?
1: Married happily for almost 21 years.
0: Oh, congratulations. Any kiddos? Nope. No kiddos. All right. And how old are you, Ben? I am almost 50. Almost 50. Great. We'll call it 48, 49. Last question. What's what's something you wish you knew when you were 20?
1: Mm, um, It's all going to be all right.
0: Guys, there we have a SourcePoint launched in 2015 after a $400 million exit that was ad to Google, uh, now working on a sort of a three-tiered pricing plan, what folks can pay him on a, on a volume of API call a plan, a pure SaaS plan, which is traditional C and unlocking features. And then lastly, what percent of spend is SourcePoint helping you protect? They take under 1% call it take rate on that. They're growing nicely. They raised uh, recently a series C in 2020 for 17000000 bucks. million. They've got a team of 60, evenly distributed call it, and a uh, nice uh, go-to-market plan, leaning on a lot of his ex-teammates from Admont as I look to scale to 50 million. This year will be a stretch goal, but definitely in 2024, serving 500 customers today. Ben, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks for doing it.